Hey guys, this is Georgia with Ancient Aliens, and you're listening to That One Time I Was Abducted by Aliens with Jamie and Bree. You're listening to That One Time I Was Abducted by Aliens. I'm Jamie. I'm Bree, and we're two sides of the coin. Hey, Space Tribe, welcome back. I know it's been a little bit. It has been a while, but we're here. We're back, and we're here with another state episode. We're not going to be doing the 33rd parallel of the state, even though it runs across the 33rd parallel. This is basically everything but the 33rd parallel. (laughs) Why, you ask, Brie? Because this state is hot with UFO activity. Well, not just that, but as I'm researching, there was really only two significant events that really happened on the 33rd parallel, and there wasn't too much else. It wasn't like Texas, you know what I mean? It wasn't all across it. But this state in general is a little bit spooky. So let's let's give some hints out to see if people can guess. Okay, so like uh, the greatest crash of all time happened there. Crash crashes. Okay, then we also have uh, my favorite, favorite base of all time located there. Dulce Disneyland. Okay, and then we also have another another great base that's there, Holloman Air Force Base. Definitely goes down in history. What state are we talking about? New Mexico. Dun, dun, dun. For sure, the great Southwest. Also very no, oh, I like that one. I liked that. You know, that area is also very dense with native tribes, and I think their background also goes back to star people and the very roots of their traditions and their beliefs. And, you know, I think just that crosses over into recent times, so it kind of just feels like the land itself is a hotbed for this type of celestial interactions. Well, you know, we always say weird shit happens in the desert. New Mexico is just a big-ass fucking desert, guys. Just a big-ass desert. Enchanted land. Enchanted land. So we're going to be going over a few cases today, just kind of seeing if you guys know about them. There's obviously a little bit of a theme that we seem to have within these state episodes that we're starting to do. Something about these cases that are very either people either believe it happened or they don't. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of middle ground on these. These are really controversial. You know, one of the ones we have is some physical evidence that we really need to discuss. And of course, a lot of this area that I've noticed is these end up being a lot of Project Blue Book cases. Oh, for sure. There's something about along that 33rd parallel is where, whether it was J. Allen Hynek or Ruplet, you know, who went and investigated these, the 33rd parallel seemed to be something that they traveled pretty frequently. I agree. It's just a hotbed, that whole area. So let's get into some of the cases. All right. So our first case is 1948, and we're talking Aztec, New Mexico. Now, if you are a fan of Tatiwaba, you know that at Alien Con, not this year, but the year before, I went up and asked a question during the Roswell panel. And I asked Linda Moulton-Howe, well, not her specifically, but she was the one who answered me. I asked what UFO case in history that doesn't get enough attention needs more attention and needs to be studied. And what did she say to me, Bray? Aztec. And we looked at each other like, which Aztec? Yeah, we're like, wait, what are you talking about? And then then she clarified Aztec to Mexico. And then in her true fashion, I believe she written rattled off for a little bit. And I don't remember what she said. I don't remember either. But here we have Aztec. Now, before we even get super deep into it, this is another case where they call it the other Roswell. So we have three versions of Roswell now. To me, by my count, there's probably more. We have the one in Texas, Mm -hmm. right? We have actual Roswell, and then now we have Aztec. 
So I think we're going to start collecting these fucking Roswell-esque. I feel like every time we do a state, we're going to have a their version of Roswell. Roswell. You know what's funny? Even if you look up Aztec online, I guarantee you that even if you scroll multiple pages through all the list of links, mm-hmm. all of them will mention that this was something bigger than Roswell and yes. should have greater attention than Roswell. But this is also one of those ones that has said that there's a huge possibility of a hoax here mm-hmm. because of the two people who were involved with it who were later put in prison because of their <laughs> lying ways that kind of wrapped into this whole story. So we don't know. You could have that case of Men in Black where we've talked about before where like somebody went in and they were like, if you don't shut up, we're going to put an end to you. And maybe mm-hmm. they did. Who knows? But this is another one of those cases where it's down the middle. You either believe it or you don't believe it. So in 1948, in Aztec, New Mexico, there was this guy named Frank Scully, which let's start off the bat. I already like the name Scully. We're into it. It's a little (laughs) bit weird. I like it. That's probably where they got the inspiration. Uh, Maybe. And I thoroughly enjoy that if that's the case. So this author, Frank Scully, first made this story kind of public in 1949 when he wrote about it in his Variety magazine columns. And later he also wrote about it in his 1950 book called Behind Flying Saucers. So in March of 1948, a UFO with 16 humanoid bodies inside was discovered after making a controlled landing in Heart Canyon. Before we even continue any further, I'm confused about the controlled landing part. Why? Okay, because now they're taking this thing that's called the Aztec New Mexico crash. It's like Roswell. But the first thing they're saying is that this UFO did not crash. It could also be, I don't know where you're going to go into this. I don't know what else that you might have that links to this. But it could also be that on our side, it was a controlled landing because of the rumors of the radio, whatever that is. So shit, are you saying that, that we landed crashed it? it down? Yeah. Okay. See, this is why you're my other half. Because there's <laughs> things that you know about that I don't. Because I'm like reading this and I'm like, what the fuck is this shit? A controlled landing? So why didn't you just say a landing? Like, I'm so confused right. by the word controlled or like, were you there? Did you watch it come down? Like, yeah, like, like uh, uh, Jackson, are you down there? We're going to be crashing here in about three, two, one. Okay, we're in. Like, what? Yeah, I'm just, <laughs> I was confused by that. But that, all, that very much so makes sense to me. So they had this, you know, controlled landing. And Scully got this info from two guys at the time only known by Newton and Gerber and Dr. G, who said that the, quote, military came in and took the craft for research. So these two who no one really knew at the time, but they were these kind of, uh, oh, how do I say this nicely? They were kind of like a snake oil salesman, if you know what that is. So they basically, they used to have like cure-alls and things. They'd have like weird potions that they'd sell on the street that would be like, this cures everything. Come and buy it now. Hot off the press, you know? They'd sell it for like five cents and then like everyone would go home and drink it. But then by the time people realized it was fake, they'd already be out of town on to the next one. So these are these kind of people. And they say they were out in the desert in New Mexico and they watched this, quote, controlled landing happen. And then they watched these 16 creatures that came out of it. It's a huge craft in the first place. And to hold 16 occupants, like, holy moly. At least this sets apart from Roswell with, like, you know, the three-body story Mm -hmm. and aura. Well, it's just interesting. I'm just, I'm kind of confused by it. So these two guys, first of all, what were you doing out in the middle of the desert? No one ever says, no one ever comments on that. So it's like, what were you doing out there, right? Or maybe you were doing sketchy shit and you never want to talk about it, right? 
And then for you to just like run to town and to find somebody who's like a journalist, but not a journalist, you know what I mean? It's not like they went to the newspaper, they just found this random guy who happened to write a column for Variety magazine. And they were like, let me tell you my story. And it is said that the reason they went and even told the story was because they happened to be going around town selling something and claiming that it used alien technology, which brings in more of that like snake oil salesman bullshit that they kind of put on the persona of those two people. And just to add, later on, Scully made a note that this Dr. G is supposed to represent eight scientists that worked on the body, and those are the people that gave him that information. So that's already contradicting stories. Exactly. And then we come out, we have later, those two people are actually identified as two actual individuals, Salinas M. Newton and Leo A. And I don't know how to say his last name, which is one reason we're calling him Dr. G. It's either Gerber or Gabior. It's very French sounding to me. Well, at least he does refer to him as Dr. G in his He does. Book. So yeah, these two people were identified as these two con men and they actually ended up being convicted in 1953 for fraud. Not necessarily pertaining to that specific case, but people actually did sue these two. People in the town where this crash supposedly happened stating like, well, they said it was alien technology and that whole story was made up. So they sued him for fraud. Damn. Yeah. People were real angry about that. You can visit the crash site now. Mm -hmm. I hear that there's like, it's like called like the five mile trail or whatever. I saw a little video on it and there's like a little alien head that's like this way to the Aztec crash. And then when you get there, there's a little plaque and it says what happened and all that stuff. So that's kind of cool. Another reason to go visit New Mexico. Right? I mean, I think it's just... What I like about this case is the fact that it keeps coming back up again, that all of a sudden people are trying to dig into it to really see what was going on. And I love that kind of shit. Like, I love when people want to figure out the truth about things. I know me and you a while ago had a little bit of an issue with people bringing up old stories. We were like, oh, what is this? We already know. But then we were corrected by someone. And if I believe correctly, we were corrected by Nick Pope. Mm. Remember when I asked him? We played the clip a few episodes back. Okay, yes. yes. And you're like, well, why are they like bringing this shit up again? And he came to a really good point, which again, we talked about before, where it's you have new generations and people are re-bringing these things up and mm -hmm. we have new ways to study things. So why is it a bad thing that it keeps coming back up? And I was like, ooh, you right, but you right, get it. And also because documents are being declassified now mm -hmm. that so much time has gone by, which to add some credibility to the story, I'm sorry I won't have all the details correct, but apparently this Dr. G who had fed him this information was the one that told him about this radio base, whatever it is, where they mess with all these radio waves, the one that shot them down. So then they went and they checked out the air and there was nothing there. But then they did eventually actually find the building that was in there and they found a paper trail of the things that were being ordered for that, I guess, plant, that office that was mm -hmm. doing stuff like that. And then later it was declassified that that was in fact what it was. Mm. So he at least had that information before it was even released to the public to be yeah. true. Well, I think you have to remember too, so like a lot of these old cases, especially back on this time, it's been ingrained in us to not believe any of these things because all of this stuff has always been, well, you're crazy. How could you believe flying saucers in the sky? 
But then now we're living in an age where it's like, ooh, let's look into all of it. And so, and there are these more documents and things coming out. I know one of the documents that came out that kind of brought this back into light was the Hoddle memo. Now, I'm not gonna quote exactly like what it says. I'm not gonna go over it because I want you guys to go look into it. Again, this is another one of those like, uh, disputed things where like it was found through the Freedom of Information Act. It's like technically a piece of government paper, but not a piece of government paper, if that Mm -hmm. makes any sense. It was like a letter written by this guy Hoddle to like the attorney general at the time or whoever it was. And in this letter, he was basically saying that there was a case that wasn't investigated properly. And it kind of insinuates that it's this Aztec New Mexico case which is an interesting one because the government comes out being like, well, yeah, it's cataloged and yeah, someone had those concerns, but like, eh. <laughs> That's all they're really, there's not really an explanation. It's just, eh, yeah. They just, they don't know what to say about it. And so it's an interesting one because it says that, you know, A, we have, you guys didn't investigate it enough. And this is like a government official talking to another government official being like, hey, you didn't look into this. And then the government's kind of sort of denying that we even have it kind of deal. It's interesting because one of the reasons this case even got brought back into the light again is because of this memo. Because Mm. people, a lot of people speculated like, ooh, is this what he's talking about? And I don't know if that's been confirmed or not confirmed because, again, you guys be a little bit have mushy brains right now. So I'm not going to be super exact on these details, unfortunately. But I do know that this was the memo that, like, kind of made more people look into it to see if it really was this case. A lot of the times it seems like this is the way that we do verify these cases. Not everything is in a memo with a fat stamp on it and says, this happened, this happened, this happened, we covered it up. Sometimes we just find these letters from someone important to someone else important that mentions it. Mm -hmm. And that itself is like, okay, that happened. Also, I mean, I don't think it's just you. I think this is just we have to go off these little leads that we have Mm -hmm. and then just come up to our own conclusions. Well, I know like me personally, I would be more inclined to believe something like a personal letter between two figureheads Mm -hmm. than like a stamped government document that says aliens are real. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's usually bullshit anyway. Yeah, it's a little I feel like the government's a little, you know, they're a little sketch. They're a little, they're a little, you know, a little skittish. But if you have just two people openly talking about something, I'm more inclined to be like, oh, some shit really did happen because for you especially during that time you can't just like pick up your cell phone and call someone to write them a letter and be like hey there's some weird shit going on here obviously some weird shit was happening to warrant you actually sitting down writing a letter and then mailing it out yep he must have heard deeper information and that's why he said that I think the big reason everyone calls this the other Roswell, and correct me if I'm wrong, is really the the only thing is, is because there was some sort of a crash and there were bodies. And then the vagueness. Like, and who then do the we vagueness. believe? Yeah. So I think that's what we're going to base all further Roswell-like cases off of. If there's a crash, if there is, I'm going to say, more than two bodies it has to be. One body or, or two isn't like a Roswell thing to me. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to say two bodies or more to be considered, and you have to have some version of the government coming in and being like, eh. It's the Roswell criteria. Yes, yeah, the That's criteria. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For further episodes we do on states that have weird <laughs> cases. Because at this point, I'm going to bet my life that every single state has some version of a Roswell case. And so these are our criteria. It has to be two bodies or more because one body, that's not interesting. Well, who wants to travel alone to this, like, freak world? That's just, it reminds me, if it's only one one body, that's just like the beginning of a sci-fi TV show. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we're going to do two bodies or more. It has to have the bodies alive, dead, doesn't matter, bodies. 
who knows if they even tell us about the bodies. But a craft has to be involved. Craft just like dropped two alien bodies. No, and then it has to have some sort of military involvement where like somebody random found it, then the military comes in and they're like, oh no. And then they come out and they're like, oh, weather balloon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, space dust. Space dust. Oh, not aliens. You know what I mean? I think another reason why they compare it to Roswell so much is that this happened before Roswell. And Roswell got so much attention for its time, so I feel like we all think that was the starting point where other people feel like, but wait, this happened more, so shouldn't this be the starting point? Yeah. And then everything after that, just be like, eh, it's another Aztec story. Well, you know, the thing is, is that there's so many good UFO stories pre-Roswell, and we've actually talked about a lot mm-hmm. of them on here, which... I enjoy doing because I think that those are the ones that aren't getting enough attention because they didn't have things like photographs of them or a bunch of witness statements and stuff because it was a different time back then, you know? And like, they had no idea what the fuck they were looking at. This is, we're talking about times before fucking airplanes and shit were around and people have been seeing shit in the skies. So I always like digging into a little bit of those deeper cases. You'll notice that we don't too much talk about cases from like 1993, you know what I mean? Like, not so much of the newer ones, maybe because... It's a little bit besides hard. Phoenix Lights. Well, Phoenix Lights, yeah, but it's a little bit hard to talk about some of the newer cases because, like, one, not as much detail goes into them. Two, we don't have a lot of these like background information, government documents, and things like that. So it's harder now. I can just be like, okay, October thirty second, nineteen fifty two, and in San Francisco, California, eight hundred people saw a UFO, and that was the end of it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It'd be like such a short case to go over. And I know the thirty second isn't a real date. I was just making things up. Well, that would be nice because maybe Halloween would get a second day. It'd be like Halloween's over like series of days. So really quick, before we move on, would you factor sci-fi that, Aztec Crash? Ooh. I'm going to have to sci-fi it. Ooh, really? Yeah, I'm going to have to sci-fi it. Oh, shoot. Just considering, considering my understanding of it. I really do truly believe that these two individuals made up a story in order to sell shit. I buy in to that version of the story. Whether or not there was actually some weird shit going on and they really did see something and the government suppressed it and forced all this like fraud charges on them, that might be the case. But I also, I just believe it. Considering the amount of people who came out to try to sue them, you know, their history of going around from town to town and lying about things, it just makes it really hard. And maybe it was the government gaslighting them, but this time I'm going to play into that government story, unfortunately. Damn. I know. And you know me, I'm not I'm not a big one to ever sci-fi people's like personal stories and stuff. Yeah. But this one just doesn't sound right to me. What makes it even worse, and this is kind of like a double-edged sword for me, you know, we're talking about how much we enjoy people keep bringing all this shit up. I find there's too much focus on this case in particular recently, which mm-hmm. makes me not believe it even more. And I know that sounds really weird and backwards, and I don't ask me how like, that works. There's too much going on. I'm going to yeah. keep talking about it, even though I'm bugged by everyone talking about yeah. it. Yeah. Well, it's not that I'm bugged by everyone talking about it. I'm just like, I looked into the evidence of the case, and like, realistically, there's not really much more we could look into. So it's interesting to me that all these people want to come out and really research it, because I'm like, there's nothing other than reading the story over and over and over again, and then just making your decision. I don't know. I'm kind of like a hypocrite a little bit when I talk about it like that, but I'm going to have to sci-fi this one. What about you? Are you going to middle bitch it? I really want to middle bitch it. But, and But because I sci-fied, you want to fact it? <laughs> no, I'm not going to I'm not going to fact it. 
I think I'm gonna middle bitch it, and I think I'm gonna wait for more corroborating evidence to show on paperwork because that's the only thing that really persuaded me yeah. was that one minor detail that, again, I'm sorry, I can't give you the exact details because my brain's fried and I wasn't planning on talking about it really, but that's the only thing that made me think, okay, m- maybe there's some truth here. But you're right, it is very fishy. I do agree that there's not too much for us to go off of, and that's why I think I'll stick on the middle bitch side. I can't imagine myself facting it because I don't feel like there's enough evidence. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go with you. I'm gonna still sci-fi it, but I'm gonna go with you on the fact that I will change my opinion of such if we get more good evidence. Yeah. I.e weird government documents that come out. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, obviously, there has to be something about it somewhere in some weird government document. Somewhere. Especially in 1948, everything was on paper. You know what I mean? There's something somewhere. I mean, if we can prove some of the small documents that are out there are really linked to it, maybe that'll change my mind. But I'm agree with you. Until I get more evidence, I'm going to have to sci-fi it. All right, Bree, take us to our next one. Our next one is occurring in Farmington, New Mexico. And this was March 1950, basically two years after this Aztec crash. Are you talking about— Because that's also in March. Are you talking about the Farmington UFO craze? More commonly known as the Farmington Armada incident. Armada? Does that mean fleet of warships? I guess UFO fleet of warships. Ooh, okay. I just find it interesting that this area in Farmington, it's about 15 miles from Aztec, and it's basically the two-year anniversary of the Aztec crash, Mm because we're talking the same month. Mm -hmm. I believe it was eight days or something apart. So that's already interesting. This one might be one that doesn't get enough attention, and I feel like there is a little bit more evidence than the Aztec crash. Mm -hmm. So in March, there was a series of three consecutive days where hundreds of UFOs were seen in the sky in broad daylight. And this is a small town, so they're definitely not used to this. It was reported that the crafts were making right angle turns, that they appeared to be playing tag with each other and approximately going about a thousand miles per hour at 20,000 feet. With the numbers. You know it's our pet guys. These were some people, though, that are, like, in the Navy and they're pilots, so they're like, mm-mm, this is not fucking possible. They're going faster than jets. All right. Some of the objects were by themselves, singular, and some of them were in groups, the formations of the saucer. I read one witness report that compared it to dominoes going across the sky, like horizon to horizon dominoes, like they were in those formations Mm. going over the entire sky. So this blew up in that town. The local newspaper had received hundreds of people calling in, panicking about what they had seen. So then on March 18th, the Farmington Daily Times newspaper They ran an article with the headline, Huge Saucer Armada Jolts Farmington, Crafts Seen by Hundreds. You can look at this online. They still have it. So Mm -hmm. this does remind me of a Roswell in the sense that they threw it out there in a newspaper, headlines like, boom. And then eventually, Las Vegas ended up running their own story about it. We gained a lot of publicity for that. You have to remember at the time, too, is like the newspaper was really the only way of getting shit out there. So it was a tool that was used much differently than it is today. Yeah, it's not like they could just turn on CNN or like check their phones for alerts. Exactly. You know what I mean? One witness that's still alive today, he's in his late 90s. His name is Marlo Webb. He said that he witnessed 
all three days that the sightings happened, and it started on Thursday, March 16th. So that's 16th, 17th, and 18th. Several witnesses and residents of Farmington claimed that after the sightings, unknown government officials had showed up and basically told them that they needed to stay quiet about the incident for national security purposes. And it kind of followed the days after, even weeks after. And this Marlowe Webb was one witness who also claims that someone had been coming up to him, reminding him not to talk about the sighting that they had seen. Is this a little bit of men in black action? Absolutely, I think so. And like I said, this is a small town. I think the population at the most was 5,000. And these are like good farming people, you know, whatever. I mean, it and is they've seen something like that, and it's like, what the hell? What the hell? And then these crazy people show up, like, you guys can't be talking about this. All right, I'm ready to play devil's advocate. Hold on, so, just okay. hold on. All right. If you could remember, we've talked about this person before, Dr. Donald Menzel. His explanation for what happened is that they were fragments of a ruptured high-altitude U.S. Navy Skyhook balloon that was launched out of Holloman Air Force Base on Friday morning, and it had ruptured. So that's what the people had been seeing. That's on Friday he's saying that that happened. And Marlo Webb's account was that it happened on Thursday. Okay, so not Friday, that's a day before. And of course, let's not forget, if anyone hasn't listened to the episode, we go into Majestic 12. And Menzel was one of these people that were reported to be in Majestic 12. He was a Harvard astronomer, and he was linked with the CIA for doing shit like this to mix up stories and give people explanations that aren't true. So there were declassified documents from the Air Force Office of Special Investigations. And in these documented sightings, it does list the Farmington incident. And the date that's on there is Thursday, March 16th, 1950. They documented it in their book as being on Thursday. So they fucked themselves because they're, they're causing their own conflict inside of here by using different dates. Exactly. So this guy's like, oh, no, guys, don't trip. Again, it's basically a fucking weather balloon. It ruptured. They're seeing pieces of it all over the sky. And that's why people think that's what they're seeing, even though this was over three days and this started a day before. Even if it was a ruptured balloon, did he have an excuse of why it would be falling for three days? Exactly. He completely missed that point. He's only saying it was that Friday. And I think that's because that was the day that the newspaper had released that article. That was Mm. on Friday that they released it. Like, this is what's happening. So instead of actually investigating to get a story straight, he just threw something random out there. Yeah. Oh, no, Friday we released something. That's why. Yeah. At a Holloman Air Force Base, guys, it ruptured. It's fine without even realizing that it was over three days. See, because I was going to play devil's advocate and say, you know, if it was me and if I was men in black, I would go in and be like, listen, these are weird tests things we're doing. Don't talk about them again. Mm-hmm. You know that Holloman's right over there. We're testing some stuff so we could blow up whatever country at the time we were fighting with. Exactly. And then leave it at that. That is much more of a plausible answer to me. But what we've realized over time is the stupider the government's answer <laughs> is to what they think it is, the more likely it is to be bullshit. Yeah. Because 
when it's actually something that's really theirs, they have no problem stepping out and being like, oh, okay, it was this, that's all. We were doing some shit, have a nice day. But then whenever you have this weird UFO shit, it's like they come up with the craziest, dumbest, whatever they pulled out of their back pocket. And I think their problem is this case is jumping the gun too quickly with what their story was. Not only that, but we have those declassified documents to back that up. And I think that's another instance how now over time, because there's been such a gap, these things can be released that proves that it was all wrong, where back then, they didn't have any other way of finding these things out. They hear from one official person and they take the story, especially in this time in America. How many stories are we gonna hear that it was a weather balloon? So people just believe that it's someone official and they go on with their day. There's no other conflicting argument for what it could be. Mm -hmm. It's only now in recent times that we have this proof and we're thinking more like, hello, you guys are so stupid. These don't add up. But it's like the the downfall and the beauty of our country all at the same time to me sometimes because it's like as time goes on, the more and more we learn about our country, the more and more disappointed we are in them. <laughs> like, okay, so I'll give a good example. So did you know that recently that we're gonna get a slight bit political here and I apologize. Did you know that under Trump right now that he basically made it so that if you are a conspiracy theorist, you are considered a terrorist? No. Yes. No. Yes. No. Yes. No. Yeah. You swear. I swear. Where did you hear this? From like CNN, Fox News, it was like all over. Yeah. <gasps> yeah. Yeah. They just put targets on our backs. Well, not just that, but he also eliminated like literally like 90% of his like voter base, but whatever, Trump, you do you. But he's the one that's like, fake news, fake news. So here's what's interesting about it. This tweet happened right after he tweeted about how he thinks Hillary and Bill Clinton killed, what the fuck is his name? Anthony Bordeaux? No. Bourdain? No. That's not a pedophile. No, 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 sorry. I'm sorry. That was a good cook. Yeah. I know he's not a cook. He just eats weird shit. Or no, he was a cook too. He was a cook too. I forgot. Epstein. One, this guy that just died. Yeah, yeah, Epstein. yeah. Epstein, yes. So right after that, like a day or two after that, it was actually put in there that if you are a conspiracy theorist, you are considered to be a terrorist. So he shot his own foot. Yeah. It's very interesting, guys. So just remember they're backing us into a corner at this point because they're starting to realize that with all this release of all this information, conspiracy theories are coming true. And the only way to stop them now at this point is to label them as a terrorist or find some way to make them seem fucking crazy when the truth of it is is that the government's been lying to us and they keep coming back out and admitting that they're lying to us like over and over again hey guys oh by the way yeah hey hey we lied to you we're still lying to you have a nice day then they go away yeah by the way if you ever question our authority you're crazy exactly you're a terrorist exactly that that's some crazy shit that freaks me out because like could you imagine if we ever I mean, if they ever really cracked down on people and they started eliminating podcasts like ours and we're being, <gasps> they storm our castle. Yeah. Yeah. Known for terrorism. Yeah. Maybe we, we shouldn't could, be talking about we him. Could be, we could be labeled as terrorists. We shouldn't be talking about him. Oh, God. Or about this country for that matter. It's true. <laughs> so I know that doesn't have too much to do with what we were talking about because now we got so far off track that I don't remember how to bring it back. Speaking of government, <laughs> let's talk about another Project Blue Book case. Okay, so where do we start with this one? This is actually like a really fucking juicy case that I'm really fucking angry that we have lost evidence. We're jumping into Socorro, New Mexico. <laughs> April 24th. 1964. Police officer Lonnie Zamora is driving down the street when he notices a car is speeding. <laughs> ah! 
<laughs> Police officer Lonnie Zamorez then proceeds after the speeding car. But while hot on pursuit, he looks up to the sky and sees a giant bluish-orange flame. That sounded like a really good movie title, like it a is. trailer. All right. So he's driving on the road, chasing after this car speeding. He looks over, and then what? And then he sees the big flash in the sky. It's like a bluish oranges kind of flame thing. This is where the story gets slightly interesting to me, and I laugh as I was researching it. He's like, oh shoot, you know what? There's a whole goddamn shack full of dynamite about a mile down the street over there. I bet you that's what blew up. I'm just confused as to why there's a shack of dynamite in the middle of the desert. It's a mining country, our mining town. It's just very, I'm just confused by that. So he decides to skirt skirt on the pursuit, right? And then goes over to the shack because he's like, we got to make sure everything's okay. And as he gets over there, he's like driving down. He sees the shack and the shack obviously isn't blown up, but he sees what at first appears to him as like maybe an overturned vehicle. Like maybe it was a vehicle that blew up, but it was on his side, right? But then he drives right up to it, gets out of his car and he goes to inspect it. And what does he find, Brie? So, me and Brie. <laughs> <laughs> so, me and Brie have a little bit of conflicting stories about the series of events that happen with this crash, which actually really intrigues me because usually when we research, we're very fucking on par with details. And right now, we have very drastically different details. So, I'll tell my version of it, you tell your version of it, and we'll let the audience decide what they really think happened. Okay. Okay, okay go ahead. So, he sees the craft, gets out of the car, he goes and does like a little circle around it, and he notices that there's no windows and there's no doors on it. And he's kind of looking around it, and he sees this red kind of insignia on the side. And as he's inspecting it, he kind of looks over and sees something out of the corner of his eye that at first he thinks is children, but then realizes very quickly that it's these two small beings that look like they're almost in white overalls. They're just as afraid of him as he is of them, and so they both kind of jump back. And the little beings run back inside of the UFO, which he never sees them coming in or out of it. Like, there wasn't like a door that opened up. The little beings get back in, and then all of a sudden he hears a big roar again, and then the ship takes off and flies down the street but he said specifically about 15 feet above the ground and just like zoomed off in a straight pattern. Now, what do you have, the, the series of events, ma'am? There are some similarities. So what I have, it's all the same how it started. He's chasing after the speeding car. He hears the roar with the flame and that's what catches his attention. He thinks it's a dynamite shack. When he gets closer, he thinks that he sees an object that's in the shape of an O that's shiny like aluminum. And what he briefly thinks are two children or two small adults outside. But then it isn't until he gets closer that he starts to realize what it is. And this was like after he already parks, he gets out of his car and, and he looks at what it is. He hears a roar, so he runs behind his car because he thinks the thing's gonna like blow up. And then that's when he notices that the children are gone. So they're like inside of the craft and he sees the blue flames coming out of it. And that's when he really gets the detail of it being smooth without any doors. He sees the red insignia on the craft. And then when he hears that second roar, he goes running past his car. He runs over like a little, not necessarily a hill. Think of like a little steep kind of hill thing. A little mound. Like he's running up there, but then 
doesn't hear the roar anymore, so he like covers his ears and turns around to check like what happened, and he sees it's not coming his way, that it slowly moves up about the same, you said about 15, 20 feet, slowly rises up and then takes off. And then that's when he runs back to his car, calls the sheriff's office, and is like, look outside the window to see if you guys can see this craft. And then his other colleague, Sergeant Chavez, comes and meets him there. He draws the insignia for him, and they kind of do their own investigation. And then I'm sure all the other details are the same with you, where everyone else to town also comes to do their own investigation after that. Yeah, we're pretty much, everything is the same other than what actually happened with the spacecraft and or aliens inside of there. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to say, I'm going to, I'm going to first start off by Although, saying... hold on, oh. sorry. I forgot to mention that when he was looking at the craft, he noticed that it was oval with the legs. Mm-hmm. So before he thought it was an O, he noticed that it was an oval shape with the legs and the same the beings when he glanced were wearing those like white overalls. Yeah, and you can actually... He has drawings of it that were later released, I believe from a Freedom of Information Act where you can actually see him. It's yeah. like a saucer-shaped UFO with the little legs that come down. So what's interesting about this is we have Jay Allen and Hynek, who went and investigated this one. While this whole thing was going on, the police dispatcher, who was later interviewed by Hynek, admitted that there was actually Mm -hmm. three other phone calls of people who have witnessed the same thing, whether it was the flash, the sound of the roar, or witnessing the UFO in the sky driving away. Yeah, with the blue flame. Exactly. There were three different people who went and said it wasn't just him, and it was happening roughly at the same time when he first radioed in that he had saw something. I did read the same thing. It was about several minutes apart mm-hmm. from when he had his sighting, so there's no way that word would have spread across the town. Well, there's that no fast. way that it was two different events. This was all happening yeah. at the same time. What's really interesting here is that it also left a, a scorched earth dent that we have going on here. Now, specifically, they had a radiological chemist came in and took samples of the ground the next morning. It wasn't like a week later. It was literally the next morning. And she said, quote, there were a few organic materials that couldn't be identified. Although she did admit that a lot of the stuff that was on the ground was some form of sap, which is very weird because there was no trees. She did say you could identify this as sap, but there were also a few things that we didn't know about. And she also said that very shortly after that the Air Force personnel came and took all of her notes and material and specifically told her she was no longer allowed to talk about this again. And it should be known in the world that analysis reports of that material she found have never been made public. Oh, I'm sure. So we have J. Allen Hynek who comes in. He's investigating. He's talking to Zamora. He's talking to everyone. And what I will give J. Allen Hynek credit for is he never once says that Zamora is like lying or that he's making things up. He was very much so on his side because Zamora was a very well-known prominent figure and police officer. Yeah, he was and a sergeant. Exactly. No one had any issue with him. No one said he was like, oh, he's an alcoholic or he beats his children. Like none of that kind of shit. He was a very outstanding person. So, of course, I would assume Hynek couldn't, you, you can't assassinate his character, not no, someone like, like that. The last person that you would assume that would just go like yelling a hoax, like why of all the types of people it wouldn't be. But him. here's where Hynek fucks up in my book and what I don't like. His explanation for it, well, he doesn't even really give one. He basically just says, well, Zamora's not lying. He believes everything he says, and I'm inclined to believe him as well. But obviously, there's some sort of natural phenomenon going on here. We just don't know how to explain it yet. 
That was literally his whole thing. And it was like, wait, 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 you just told us that you believe this dude, that what he's saying, he's not lying, it actually happened, but then you're also saying on that same fold, like, mm, but it's probably something natural, I just don't know what. How is that investigating a case? You know that what I mean? That sounds just like that other case we did last time where it's like, it's a f- natural phenomenon. Exactly. But I believe it was still cataloged as an unknown. It was cataloged as an unknown. I will agree with that. Now, here's my question for you. Are you going to factor sci-fi this one? Fuck. Do you want me to go first? Yes, please. I fact it. Oh, you do? Oh, I fact it hard. We have enough evidence. I have enough government release documents. We have the fact yeah. that he's a police officer who not one person can say anything bad about him. Then you have even Jay Alec Hynek himself saying that I believe what this man is saying to me. Not offering up any opinion, but at least saying that, no, I mean, what he says is really what happened to him, you know? So I'm going to have to fact this one. I think I'm going to fact it too. All right. And also, even just to like pick apart his words. Do it. He said it was a natural phenomenon, but... Like, in my opinion, what we call paranormal isn't really paranormal. It's just that we don't understand it. If this is a living, they call them creatures, but these are beings. Mm -hmm. That's natural. Mm -hmm. That was created. So maybe he is saying the same thing. This is natural. We just don't know how to explain it. Well, that's when we talk about our patented idea of alien of the gap theory, which is reminiscent of God of the gap theory. (laughs) So, you know, what you can't explain, you call God. What we can't explain, we call alien. What J. Alec Hynek couldn't explain, he called natural phenomenon. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, I... Maybe we should get t-shirts made that say, quote, natural phenomenon, and then be like, J. Alec, by J. Alec Hynek, you know, like, make, like, fan shirts and wear those. With, like, an alien in the middle of it or something. Yeah, I think that there's enough to the story to believe it. Well, and then to have the other pe- the other people calling in and also seeing it. And then J. Allen Hynek even interviewed some of the witnesses and even the witnesses backed up whatever Zamora said. So I'm just, I have to fact it on this one. There's nothing that indicates to me that there is any form of bullshit. For me personally, I like to look for these cases that have somebody where you can't be like, they were on drugs, they did this, they did that. I like those cases because it proves a solid point to me. I like when pilots come out and say stuff, when police officers, when military people, because you can't just call crazy people on those type of people. So it makes me believe it more which is kind of shitty because we should believe everybody's stories, but at least this way, it's a little bit easier for people to digest. Because if anything, those are the people that don't want to be embarrassed. They don't want to jeopardize their reputation. And I think that's the most important part. Why do people do hoaxes? Because they just want attention and they don't care what kind of attention. Mm -hmm. But someone with an official position, they don't want that type of ridicule at all. They need to be taken seriously to even have a job. Mm -hmm. So for them to come out and put that reputation on the line, to me, I agree. It just shows that they're telling the truth of what they saw. All right, let's wrap up this episode with one more short story. So we have another Project Blue Book case, and we're only going to go over this fast. This could be an incredibly long talk in an episode all on its own, but this reminds me a little bit about our last episode where we were talking about that blue egg-shaped thing that kept coming down. Mm -hmm. So we have a little bit of a weird kind of glowing phenomenon, which seems to happen, you know, across this 33rd parallel, not necessarily on it, but hovering right over it. So in December 1948, two different planes 
crews reported seeing green balls of fire heading west to east. One of the plane crews even radioed in saying that it was coming straight for them and the pilot actually had to like turn and like dodge it. Like it was a plane, kind of like a game of chicken where you gotta like run at each other. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Which this was also a Project Blue Book episode of the TV show. And this is also a case where we have not just one day of sightings. It happened on December 5th, 6th, 7th, 11th, 13th, 14th, 20th, and 28th. So this is really sporadic. It's not like all happening at once. There was breaks in between. All of these people are calling in and they're saying there's these crazy green balls of fire. So this guy named Dr. Lincoln La Paz comes in. He's the head of the University of New Mexico's Institute of Meteorics. And he plotted the path of this so-called green fireballs. And he went to investigate to see if he could find any like fragments or any like depressions in the ground or fire, none of that shit. He couldn't find anything. He was quoted as saying, none of the green fireballs had a train of sparks of a dust cloud which specifically meaning that it wasn't something like a shooting star or a meteor or something like that. He concluded that it had to have been likely either a top secret unconventional defensive device being tested by the US or a Soviet spying device. So of course we have Project Blue Book coming in, we have Rupelet this time. And he really didn't even investigate it until 1952. So four years later, he was like, oh, I guess I'll make my happy way down here. And officially the government said that it was meteors. Such a shame. Again, we can go deep diving into that, but what I like about this on the surface is you have a scientist who like studies meteors and shit coming out and specifically saying it wasn't meteors, guys. But then the government coming back four years later and being like, oh, no, yeah, it was meteors. More of their shitty excuses for things. Now, it is known that big green fireballs are happening all over the world, and there's tons of documented cases of it. Sometimes it really is meteors. This one in particular, I'm going to say bullshit on. There's no way that, that all of that was meteors. You know what I'm saying? If there wasn't, what are they called? Like a meteorologist. If they weren't involved, then maybe. Yeah, for but sure. But for them to be involved and be like, nah. Yeah, exactly. They were like, nah, no. Not today, Junior. Not today, Ruplet. Not today. So that's just another one where we have Project Blue Book coming in, trying to bullshit about some sort of natural phenomenon, which is like a huge, if you read the book that they released about Project Blue Book, the theme through the entire thing is at the end of all of these cases, mm. It's like some version of space dust. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just like so stupid. It's the stupidest excuses. And this is not the last of them. I'm sure we're going to hear about a ton more. A shit ton more. All right. So I have no idea what state we're doing next, but maybe it'll be your state. Send us an email and let us know like what areas you want us to do. Thank you guys so much for listening. I love you. We love you so much. Fuck you, Mountain View and Bobby.